Sacred Teachings, the original podcast series, Wisdom of the Land, Path to the Stronghold, Dismantling Racism, Stolen, Stories of Suicide, and the Other Pandemic. Listen, learn, share. Sego, scan I'm Ginny Doctor, and this episode, it's me again. Here at Six Nations. Hi, I'm Peter Downey, and this is episode five of the season of Ginny. So far, we've been concentrating on our life's work and the passions which gave that life meaning, not just for her, but for almost everyone she came into contact with. The simplest way to say this is that Ginny had an impact. This episode is all about her efforts to understand and destroy the toxicity of racism. Now, to genuinely discuss racism, it's essential to speak as plainly and truthfully as possible. Lucky for us, that was one of Ginny's specialties. Racism, sad to say, is alive and well in Canada. The Indian Act was passed in 1876, and while there have been several amendments, the intent of the Act was hurtful. It was an attempt to assimilate Indigenous people into settler life, and in many respects, it was cultural genocide. There are several lingering effects that many are still trying to heal and reconcile. We are nations. The Act made us bands and set forth a European style of governance. Women were respected as life givers and carriers of the culture. The Act disenfranchised women. If they married a non-status man, their rights were taken away. Ceremonies that provided spiritual sustenance and helped maintain a good mind were taken away. The potlatches on the west coast were banned. The sun dances on the plains were banned. Perhaps the most devastating act came in 1894 with the amendment that authorized residential schools. You've probably heard the old adage that it's best to write about what you know. Well, as we know, Ginny was a gifted writer. And I've seen too many people hurt by racism and prejudice. It's a hurt that really defiles your self-worth. And you really begin to think, well, I'm no good. What can you be told in order to restore that self-worth? For me, I was lucky that I had good parents and good grandparents who would, who would talk to me and say, no, that's, that's not true. You know, this is, this is the person you are. You know, they would help me to value my gifts and my talents. One of Ginny's talents was the ability to cut to the heart of the matter. She cared deeply about anyone affected by racist attitudes, and she recognized the personal damage it caused. The pain of racism lingers on and on. We've been talking about it and seeing it at play since time immemorial. We are taunted with hateful words like, the only good Indian is the dead Indian, or go home to your reserve. People need to understand that racism hurts. It hurts our many people of color. It hurts our humanity. Racism is the abuse of power plus prejudice. 
and prejudice is defined as a dislike, a hostility, or unjust behavior that comes from preconceived and unfounded opinions. While Ginny cared about the individual impact of racism, she was also acutely aware of the racism that can hide within structures of authority. We're all familiar with the terrible racism that can happen when people are just mean to each other. Name-calling, stereotyping, ridicule, discrimination, all terribly hurtful, for sure. But there's something even more insidious about systemic racism. And to truly grasp the roots of that, we have to go back to the time of contact. These people that were here were in the way. This is Dr. Cynthia Wesley Eskima. She's from the Chippewa Georgina First Nation on Lake Simcoe. She's also the Vice Provo Indigenous Initiatives at Lakehead University. This is from the film Stolen Lands, Strong Hearts. And so how do we remove these people in a way that isn't bloodletting, but confines them someplace else? And so that was the remove people from their lands, um, you know, put them in a space where we can contain them, uh, control their access to resources. Um, you know, with McDonald, John A. McDonald, our first prime minister, it was let's just starve them to death. Uh, if, they, if they can't eat and they can't survive, they can't make babies, they can't continue. And then that didn't work, so let's just take their children away and we'll teach their children how to do things our way. And uh, they won't go back to the blanket, they won't go back to the, their traditional ways, but of course they did. That didn't work. Uh, so they've had so legislation was put in place to accommodate in every instance you can follow the sort of the trail of how do we take these people off this land so that we can have free and unfettered access to it now this initial separation from the land has to be seen through all the scar tissue for what it is these policies are the seeds of systemic racism and they've become ingrained and nurtured over centuries by neglect by racism, and it has to be said, by a cruel, if not criminal, indifference. What makes systemic racism hard to defeat is that it allows one to sort of escape from any personal responsibility. After all, it's the system. I'm not a racist. But the beauty of anti-racism, as one American activist said, is that you don't have to pretend to be free of racism. Anti-racism is a commitment to fight racism wherever you find it, including in yourself. And surely that process means not only learning and appreciating some difficult history, but also discovering the present, finding out what's happening today with Indigenous communities. Lorraine Land is a partner at Ultheus Clear Townsend in Toronto, where she specializes in Aboriginal rights and environmental law. She was also part of the film Stolen Lands, Strong Hearts. My colleagues and I go into Aboriginal communities across the country from coast to coast to coast. And so we get a sense of what's happening in these different pockets. And there are the very challenging and morally and legally and socially unacceptable situations like the deep poverty um, and, and the lack of infrastructure in, in communities, for instance, in uh, northern Ontario, northern Manitoba. Um, in the northern prairies, in the, in the numbered treaties, the historic treaty areas, you still see a level of uh, social dislocation and poverty that is uh, 
most Canadians would be horrified of if they actually ever went in to these communities and saw what the reality is on the ground. We're still in that place where the idea of uh, legislation and giving people resources is, uh, is frowned upon because they don't know how to manage it and somebody has to do it for them. We will make the decisions for you. We will make decisions about housing, we'll make decisions about economics, we will make decisions about your education, and if you have a, a decision to make, we'll make that decision for you too, right? You don't get to make any kind of decision without actually going through us. I have a will, I have a job, I have a car, two cars, I have a house, but if I die this week, the minister still has the, the power to change my will if she so desires. Well, I don't think you can justify it, but I think there's something you can do about it. Um, I have an old mentor who died uh, last year, but her take on racism was you have to claim it first, or you ha and you have to name it, name it as racism. And too many times people skirt around racism and they call it something else. They might call it multiculturalism or diversity or whatever, a nicer word because no one likes that word racism. And so you, you name it, you claim it, and then you tame it. Then you look at ways to improve it, uh, to, to dismantle racism. And particularly as it applies to institutions, I think that our churches are one of the biggest uh, institutional racism organizations in Canada. I mean, and, and if you look at the structure, you know, where are the indigenous people in that structure? I mean, think about it. Not only in the Anglican church, but other churches as well. People just need to open their eyes, and I'm not sure how to do that. Uh, help people open their eyes so that they can see it. It's all over. You have to call people on it. And I think as indigenous people, that's our responsibility. We have to say, that was racist. What you just said was racist. And, you know, as a former trainer for anti-racism, our thing was, we're not going to help you identify as a racist. That's not our thing. But we're going to show you how racism plays out in structures and then look at ways to dismantle it. And so, but we had a very good instructor who helped us design a training. And he said, he always said, I'm a recovering racist. He owned it. And I think that's what has to happen. People have to own it. As with so much of Ginny's work, there's a golden thread that consistently runs through it all, connecting healing to justice, to equality, to reconciliation, to anti-racism. Well, definitely there's a lot of justice work to be done. When I look around at uh, the different things that have impacted Indigenous people in terms of prisons and, and in terms of even employment and education. Um, everyone thinks, oh, you get a free education, oh, you get free this, you get free that, but it's not that way. You cannot work with Indigenous communities in Canada without this smacking you in the face. Uh, Aboriginal communities are profoundly affected by the issues of institutional racism in the penal system. Uh, you know, 4%, 5% of the Canadian population is Indigenous. 
25% uh, of the people in, 25% uh, of the men and 35% of the women in penal institutions are indigenous. In parts of the country it's higher. In, uh, in Manitoba, 65% of the people in Stony Mountain, st the men in Stony Mountain, which is uh, a jail for men, are indigenous. And I believe it's now about 90% of the women in Headingley, which is the women's prison in Manitoba. Those are shocking, shockingly disproportionate levels of incarceration. And they relate, of course, to all kinds of issues, everything from the social disruption in Indigenous communities having to do with multi-generational impacts of residential schools, loss of family skills, disproportionate levels of poverty, addictions issues, all those things are ways in which people become more vulnerable to be uh, in the penal system because of interactions with the law. We know there are issues around racial profiling and so on. Those are all aspects of the tentacles of colonialism. One of the powerful components of anti-racism work is a deceptively simple word, hope. The civil rights activist Rosa Parks said once that to bring about change, you must not be afraid to take the first step. We will fail, she said, when we fail to try. Ginny knew this to be true. I think it's that old adage, what would Jesus do, uh, needs to be talked about more. I mean, if you look at where Jesus went in his ministry, he went to places that people were appalled that he went there because they were racist, because they didn't like the Sumerians, they didn't like this, you know, these people, those people, for whatever reason, because, you know, mainly because they, they had racist behavior. But Jesus went there anyway. And I, I think, you know, we really need to talk more about that and really need to live more like Jesus wanted us to live. And I think people will eventually see that their behavior, while they may not think it is racist, really is racist. And that's just, you know, something that I think our church needs, can and should do more about is looking at racism in that context, in the context of what would Jesus do. What I can do is take responsibility for my part of the relationship because some of those ways of seeing the world that are so embedded in the colonial narrative aren't the ones that I want to embrace. So it's an opportunity for all of us to, to decolonize ourselves. It's not just Indigenous people decolonizing, it's all of us decolonizing. Like Lorraine Land, Ginny also understood that dismantling racism would involve both Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, and a good measure of personal courage. She was under no illusions about how long progress might take, but typically that didn't diminish her drive or her determination to do what she could to identify the hurt and the loss, unmasking the reality of racism. Name it, claim it, tame it. On a path towards justice and light. I'm just prayerful that there'll be people to take up the work and continue to do it. How many times did Jesus tell us, don't be afraid? <laughs> I'm Peter Downey. Thanks for listening.